0: Hello, I am Anna Hacker from Australian Unity, and this podcast will get you thinking about what happens after you die. Sounds morbid, right? But as a lawyer, my experience has shown that most of us are unprepared. This episode is an extremely special International Women's Day 2021 episode. The theme this year is Women in Leadership, Achieving an Equal Future in a COVID-19 World. That, linked in with the theme of what happens when I die, means that we have some really special guests to talk to today. We'll be having, first up, Amy from The Art of Decluttering, who we've spoken to in our previous season. Then we're going to speak to Jennifer Petruni, QC, who is going to lead us through some discussion around how exactly COVID-19 impacted her profession. Finally, we speak to Beverly Smith, the Executive General Manager of Residential Communities right here at Australian Unity. So, let's get cracking on this really important episode. Amy, I'm so pleased to welcome you back to the podcast. It's like you're part of the podcast family. So, since we recorded our last episode, have you had any reflections on what we spoke about?
1: I think that it's been really key, Anna, and thank you so much for having me back. I do feel part of the family. I think what has happened over the last 12 months with a real shifting of how we live and work and the relationship between those two things... I think the relationship with um, where we live has also changed in terms of lots of clients that we've worked with are making a bit of a rural or a regional move. And so it's been really interesting to kind of watch how people feel when they're in their homes 24-7 for months on end and what their relationship with their home is like, what their relationship with their stuff is like. Um, And we've seen a real increase in business as people decide that, you know what, we've had enough, we're ready to change the way that we live.
0: I can only imagine that you have had people even more grateful for what you do in in your role.
1: That's a very lovely sentiment. I think that what what we've experienced is the clients that have us in feel more of an urgency, I guess, to complete their projects and more of an urgency for the changes that they need, they're prepared to make more sacrifice in their decluttering than they perhaps were 12 months ago. And then we've also got the duplicity of people trying to live, work, study, parent, school, workout, everything in spaces. And so all of a sudden a three bedroom house is now a three bedroom house, two kids study areas, two adult, adult study areas. And we're also doing online meetings and so we care what's in the background and we're getting an insight more than we ever have into what our colleagues' homes look like. And, you know, it's hard to have that cut off at the end of the day when you live now where you work, that if you're just working at the dining room table and that never gets packed up, you are constantly at work, or at least it feels like that for a lot of people. Mm,
0: And I think that when we reflect on the ways that people have worked at home, women, appear to have disproportionately taken on that burden of the um, the increased workload, especially when it comes to remote learning. I mean, I always talk about, and I try not to use the word unlucky, but my mm-hmm. partner and I certainly, I think, share the load when it came to remote learning. But I always, I, I work part-time, so I've always probably felt like I had to do more cleaning and I had to, I have to do things um, more around the house when everyone is at home that certainly shifted I think the way and potentially gave them a greater disadvantage to women and so did you feel that people were even they had that mental load impact because they were so stressed about just never we didn't even get out did we here in Victoria we were out loud out for an hour a day
1: yeah stressful and I think what
0: you're
1: saying is really true Anna that it's actually the mental load that as women we often carry and I will say that we often carry it by choice. I think sometimes we bat away the um, the advances from a partner who says, hey, I'm prepared to help. I'm prepared to work with you on this. And sometimes as women, we're a little bit like, you know what, it would just be quicker for me to do it myself. And so we don't enable the people that we live with to support us. And I think that is slowly changing. I think that COVID has brought, like, probably just shone a spotlight on the role that women play in the home. And so during remote learning, it was that mental load of who has to be in what subject when, who needs to be logged on, who needs quiet, who needs the family computer. And a lot of that was held in women's heads. We found it particularly obvious to our clients with disabilities. Mm. And we work a lot in the disability sector and my heart just broke for the extra burden that these families carried when they didn't have their usual supports around them. So their physios or their OPs or their psychs, instead of being able to go out and have those services, they were managing all of that in the home as well. And so I think when you look at not just women, but women of small children, women of school age children, women of children with disabilities, that just disproportionately explodes for the load that they carry.
0: And as well, I guess we think the International Women's Day theme this year, which is that achieving an equal future. Um, sort of, oh. I, I feel like it more, it's post-COVID. So has the focus on the home and on the, the role that women have played historically, that light has been shone on. Um, what oh. we do um, and, and the disproportionate work that is being done, is that going to mean that there's more equality in the future? Um, obviously, I'm not asking you to answer this for all women, but in <laughs> your role, given you um, yeah. are that professional organiser who comes in and you see this as, a, I'm, I'm sure, a lot of the times a predominantly oh. women's role. Is that something, though, that I think it, that you think in the future is going to change, is going to be become a more equal load?
1: I actually – this is purely anecdotal based on the clients that I've been seeing in the last 12 months. I actually think COVID has put us back a little bit Mm. because what I've seen in my clients' homes is now the – so let's just say that a heterosexual couple. We're going to kids, husband and wife. The husband may previously have been going out to a workplace. But now that he's working from home – And if there is also a working mum or a working partner at home, what they are now trying to do is protect his space for him. So what I'm hearing from a lot of clients is now they feel like they're doing a lot of don't bother daddy, daddy's in a meeting. And so there's an extra layer of that. And what we've removed is the leaving the work, having the drive home to de-stress, to kind of acclimatise back into family life, you walk in the front door and dad's home or mum's home, whoever is um, walking in or if both are walking in at the end of the day, what we've actually gone to now is I'm um, always home and it's very hard to turn off. So instead of 7 o'clock, as doing bath time, there's a quick meeting or I've got to answer a few this and that and the other. And so that's purely anecdotal. And So that's just what I'm seeing is it's actually harder when we don't have that defined workspace and that defined breaking point, that drive in the car, that public transport ride to actually separate
0: work and home. It's so interesting given you have that insight into so many people's homes mm. that, that, that that little, um, even yes, it, they might be anecdotes, but that is something that you're seeing and I think that that will probably impact on that ability to be um, an equal equal world going future, in the future, given we yeah. have to actually think about, well... We need to switch off. We can't be constantly on the phone, on oh. the computer. Thank you very much for joining me on the International Women's Day episode today. I'm really excited to have been able to speak to you again. And I I just love sharing your insights because you, you have such a personal approach to what you do at work and also the way that you, you think about things. So thank you so much, Amy. And I can't wait to speak to you next. Thank you, Anna. It has been a pleasure. So now we're going to take a slight turn away from organising your home and your home office to organising the legal profession. And my next guest, who is a Queen's Council and is a member of the Order of Australia, is here to talk about the way in which women lead, particularly women barristers, when it comes to changing the way we work in a post-COVID-19 world. Thank you, Jennifer.
2: Thank you, Anna. It's lovely to be here. Um, Australian unity has been very close to my heart for decades, so it's it's really a pr- privilege to be here. Thank you.
0: The episode we're talk- we have today to talk about is International Women's Day, twenty twenty one. We have a theme for um, for IWD twenty one, which is women in leadership achieving an equal future in a COVID nineteen world.
2: Uh, Of course, we didn't know it was going to be seven months when it started. I I can't remember how. I think we were told a couple of weeks the first time, and we were just sort of strung along. And I think that people might well have reacted differently at the beginning if they'd known it was seven months to come. So far as the law is concerned, the first thing that happened, of course, is the courts shut down, and. It it took a while before some of them came back in a virtual capacity but some of them did not come back at all and barristers of course are different to solicitors because barristers on the whole are those legal representatives who stand up in court that's their job they go to court every day to represent their clients and so many barristers found themselves without an income at all and um, It impacted women barristers in particular because, of course, then they were trying to work from home, and many of them were also having to homeschool. So not only to deal with young children at home while you're trying to be virtually in court, but also supposed to somehow be educating them at the same time that you're supposed to be working. It was a big issue about childcare. Uh, Barristers were not classified as essential workers and so they could not get childcare, even if they were supposed to be running court cases. So all up, it was a very, very difficult time for some barristers. Myself, my practice is on the whole a lot it's an advice practice and the the superior courts did sort of pivot to online hearings quite quickly and so um just before lockdown my two adult sons Bought houses and moved out, so not only did I not have little toddlers running around, I had their empty rooms to use as um, home offices, etc. Oh, so it, it actually turned out quite well for me. But that—that's not—that was not the experience of most uh, women barristers. Mm.
0: And I, I'm not—I'm not a woman barrister, but I am a, a woman um, legal practitioner, and I had um, a number of mediations that were conducted virtually. I um, did have to have um, my two young children, seven and nine, remote learning, um, often in the same room as, as, as I am. And um, I know for listeners, you, you can't see me do this, but I had, I had a, a signal that I'd give to them if they really could not speak. And I think they could tell it was a, a finger up in the air. They knew they could not speak. It meant that I was, I was really um, deeply yep. involved in a conversation that I could not be interrupted from. But I also found on the whole, with the more informal conversations I had with people, or even when it was just a client, that in most cases, people were actually quite okay with children being and dogs. there. And, and dogs. When we think about uh, the the future of what that working life is going to look like, I, I, I'm i sure that the the courts are, are eager to get back to face-to-face. Do you think that there are things that may be our new normal?
2: Yeah, look, I, I think... It got to a stage where, you know, the thought of yet another Zoom conference was just too much. And I think that many people found that they were having back-to-back Zooms and and no release whatsoever. For my own part, um, I think I worked harder during COVID than I ever had in my life. Um, but COVID tended to, in, in that sense, tended to bring the world closer. So it didn't matter whether you... Uh, were able to attend a meeting by going to the country or going into state or in, indeed internationally people could just converge online and you know there were a number of meetings that, that would just never have happened because of covid Uh, So far as the courts are concerned, I think there will be a real rethinking of how things need to be done. You know, pre-COVID, I would spend, you know, half my life going to Sydney or Perth or wherever for for hearings. And, uh, you know, I ran a Supreme Court hearing a couple of weeks ago, and it worked seamlessly. Uh, uh, My junior was not with me. He was – I was in Hawthorne. He was in Beaumorris. Uh, but we were emailing each other furiously. Um, the solicitors were in the city, I think, or well, they might have even been in their homes. Um, it, it all worked very well. Uh, the only the only feedback I've given to the the judge involved is that I couldn't see his face, mm. and that's very. It was just because he was too far away. Mm. It's very important to be able to see the judge's expression, so mm. you know if he's bored, or she, or he, or she is bored. Puzzled, annoyed, annoyed is really one to avoid. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so, look, I, I think there will be a real scope to to uh, streamline the way court uh, hearings are heard. Of course, I, I work in the in the commercial sphere. The criminal sphere is very different. Um, they, that is probably, on the whole, not appropriate to run hearings online. And as I understand it, the courts, the Supreme Court now, is working on the the rule of thumb that commercial cases are all being heard virtually and criminal they need all the courts to, to clear the backlog of the criminal cases and the criminal cases do need to be done um, in, in person.
0: Because in, in a lot of cases, those are, that, that relates to people who are actually potentially being held, um, you know, awaiting that trial and obviously the the they need to have um, that day in court earlier than let's say something that... Look as much as is important for the the people that are a part of it. Obviously, that freedom is pretty critical. So I know in our area we're similarly. I I work in the equitable um, jurisdiction, and we're looking at maybe trials in two years. So we've had some that um, might be listed for 2022. Um, 20 probably almost verging on 23 maybe at this point um, because of the backlog of the criminal cases that have to be um, worked through so it it certainly has changed things in that area if we think about women um, in particular and particularly on this international women's day I think that what I've seen is an ability to have a better work-life balance, which is something that the legal profession probably has always struggled a little bit with. Do you think that has helped us have that sort of leap forward with having a bit of a better balance?
2: It's it's very ironic that one of the dip, most difficult things of COVID was being at home, homeschooling and having to look after the small children. The irony is that that is also a good thing coming out of COVID. Um, so the whole working from home thing, which was a bit of a "oh, you're not really working, you're just watching midday television," that has all turned on its head. Um, and I think people are finding that uh, workers are very productive at home, and if childcare can be organised, it it it's, it's a, it is a, a wonderful thing. You, you know, for my own part, I. I it means that I don't have to do the commute, you know, mm. an hour or so in the car each way, uh, and unfortunately for me, that just means I'm, I work more. Uh, but you don't you don't do other things in that that no, those couple of no, hours, no, no, <laughs> no. But but look, I think I think there's real potential for. For it to be better for women, um, because they don't, they can cut out the commute. I know I'm the convener of the Women Barristers Association, and we we have decided to continue to offer our meetings, our committee meetings, via Zoom simply because. Uh, it's convenient for people if, if they are working from home that day, they can just Zoom in. One of the women on the last committee meeting yesterday, she said, well, I'm actually in Mansfield. Now, mm. I had no idea that she was there. She was just in a room. So it, it was fabulous. If, if we had the in-person meeting, she wouldn't have been able to come. So mm. I think there are some good things that have come out of COVID. Mm.
0: I think as well that, I mean, I have a, a team member who um, had really desperately wanted to have a different role within the business just as a secondment. And it was difficult because they were based in Perth. Now, um, pre-COVID, I feel like that was seen as a barrier to working within a business, and, and maybe not, because, I mean, we have national national businesses, but it was a little bit more difficult because of the nature of the work. Now, remote working... It, it, it doesn't really matter where anyone is. Um, you can be in the same room. You can be in um, in Mansfield. It, it doesn't matter. And so I think that in that way as well, it has allowed people who might say, oh, I've got school drop-off. I mean, I'm thinking of myself, I've got school drop-off. Kids finish at this time. They have all these after-school activities. Well, now I just go and I... No one, knows that I'm working at the YMCA while my kids are doing gymnastics I'm still responding to emails I'm dealing with client calls and obviously confidentially and making sure that no one can hear what I'm talking about but it's really allowed us to be so much more flexible without apology I feel like I did work from home quite a bit previously but I always apologized for I'm so sorry I'm not in front of my computer I'm so sorry I'm not in the office I'm so sorry this this and and I don't think that we need to apologise anymore, which I think is a really important part of of that new new way of working.
2: The flip side of that is that it's too easy to work from home. So I've just had to force myself to go back into chambers, to back into work, because... I have a beautiful setup at home now and I it, and all it those is, rooms. <laughs> it, it's all working seamlessly. But I've forced myself to start going back into work, not full time, but a couple of days a week to be with my tribe. And I, I've, I've had younger women barristers say to me, oh, you know, I don't want to pay rent. I'll just work from home. And I've said to them, think about that because you need to be be with your people. You, 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 it might sound like a good idea now, but, you know, in a six months' time, you might well be very lonely and I think it's very important to, to remain connected with your work colleagues. And I think it's probably the same in, in Australian unity. Um, people don't have to be in here all the time, but I think it is very important to maintain your friendships and your, your work connections.
0: Absolutely. And I think that being, yes, being in the same... Um in the same chat online is one thing, and that's great for maintaining a, a relationship. It's hard to build new relationships online, um, professional relationships, obviously, we're talking about here, and it's that's where you really need to be, I think, seeing people. You, you, never, you, you don't know what you're missing. I think that that's the thing that probably, that's the one thing that it's really critical to come into the office. It's seeing those people you don't normally interact with and, and why would you randomly call someone that you you might just see in the kitchen that you don't ever work with um, and probably it's the same um, for, for for barristers that you for any profession it, it's those those little conversations as well you never know where they're going to lead it, it might be a, a new way of thinking about something it might be just getting a chance to understand um, you know someone's also struggling as well and helping them emotionally so there's so many good reasons for seeing people in person and I think that that's, that's really where there's wonderful things about working remotely, but um, the, the the face-to-face contact is still really critical.
2: Yeah, and, and look, I think at the moment people are finding it a great novel thing to have a, you know, a professional dinner. Last night I was at my tax discussion group, would you believe, mm-hmm. and we all had a dinner together and it was a huge turnout. I think it's because people were, were just so excited to, to be there. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, I, I actually got on an aeroplane not not oh, wow. through Terminal Four. I point oh. out, aeroplane <laughs> and flew to Canberra to the High Court, mm. and you know even the High Court, uh, the, the 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 most superior court in Australia, has pivoted. And in my case, uh, we had um, our side was there in Canberra, and the other side were um, via Zoom from Sydney, and, and that would would never have happened uh, before. And uh, you know that that's great for also for access to justice for people who don't want to have say, to you know, spend of... all that money to send people to Canberra. It, mm. It's so much more economical to be able to do it from from your home jurisdiction. Mm.
0: Because obviously, that the, when we think about the co- costs of a trial, it's not just physically turning up and and having someone um, you know appear on the day. Um, there there is the travel costs when especially when it comes to the High Court. Some of the legislation when it comes to the remote signing of documents, so affidavits, statutory declarations, um, in my case, wills um, in Victoria and um, New South Wales and, and Queensland. Um, some things will continue. Virtual AGMs may continue. Um, do you think that, again, that those are, are really... Are they are they good changes, bad changes? They, they Will they change the way we work overall? Are they here to stay, some of those things?
2: Look, I'd hope so. I mean, if we don't need COVID to be able to... Find more efficient ways to work, and um, if if the 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 new requirements for signing etc. make it easier for documents to be signed, why not keep them? You know, as long as the integrity of the system is maintained. Yeah, I th- I think there are quite a few positives from COVID that uh, we will incorporate into our life going forward. I think one of the problems, though, is the uncertainty. You and I don't know whether tomorrow we're going to be put into another five-day lockdown mm. or whether the borders are going to be closed. Uh, uh, the vaccine is on the horizon there, but I wonder if that's going to be a complete answer. We'll have to see. But I think people need to get over that uncertainty. People need to know, yes, you can come into town. Yes, you can work. Uh and I think it's ironical also that, that pre-COVID, a lot of the big firms were moving to sort of um, what do they call it, hot-desking. Yes, and we, now we, we do hot-desk. Oh, yes. Well, now that's so difficult with COVID, yeah. with with all, to have all your staff in there. I think there's going to have to be some logistics rethought about how all that plays out. Mm. Thank you for joining me again. Oh, thank you, all Anna. Right. Let's go. Thank you.
0: Yeah. And finally, my guest is Beverly Smith, the Executive General Manager of Residential Communities right here at Australian Unity. Bev is a leader in this area of advocating for vulnerable people and those people at the later stages of their life. And on this International Women's Day, being able to be a leader in this area is so critical to making sure that as a society as a whole, we're able to really move forward in this post-COVID world. Thank you, Bev, for joining me.
3: Thanks, Anna. And um, look, I, I think all of us would say that you know it's a sector that's gone through a lot of change over the last decade. But certainly, the last twelve months have been quite extraordinary. And you know, I think there's lots that we've learned about ourselves, about our teams, um, and lots of uh, insights that we'll take forward. I could
0: imagine, and I guess today on this International Women's Day, where we're looking at women in leadership achieving an equal future in COVID nineteen world. When we think about the impact that that's had on the aged care and retirement community sector, is that something that you can see from the real life experiences that your your staff and, and also the residents have had that can you already see what some of that future might hold?
3: Look the, the future is is shaping up a lot and I, you know what I would say is that this is a sector um, which employs predominantly women um, mm-hmm. at all levels um, in in the hierarchy as well as being a sector that supports women because it's generally women who live longer um, and who some of our most frail and acute uh, customers are. So I I think particularly pertinent for International Women's Day. It's also, I think, the last 12 months been a time that has particularly impacted women in in our teams and uh, families and customers because of the strains that COVID put on us, You, you know, with long periods where... Um, visitation was quite restricted, the the stress and concerns about, you know, the broader impact on our communities with employment, schools, um, learning from home, those sorts of things. Um, I think that has taken a particular toll on women. Um, but from my perspective, I think what is encouraging is looking forward and, and continue to ensure that the very humanity of people is respected uh, as they age. So, how we're making sure that every person's day is as they would want it, living their best day, um, being uh, given options uh, around what they might do that gives them um, purpose and making sure that people feel that there is is value in their later years.
0: And and that's really so critical when we're dealing with people that maybe aren't feeling um, their, their own ability to control their lives and I think that that's why having... The right people working in this sector, as well, is so critical um, because it is people who are so vulnerable. So, I'm sure that um, not only for the for the residents, for the for the customers, but also for the staff, um, being able to see the the real life impact on everyone's life is um, is something that I think brings people to this sector to work, but also um, can can give a lot of joy to to employees within this area too and I'm sure that in your role that's something that when um, you see the impact on people's lives in such a positive way then that can be really positive for yourself.
3: Look it's an incredibly rewarding sector to work in and you know I can say that after 12 months which has been nothing like I've experienced at any other time in my career so you know I still think the, the um, the fact that our team members continued to come to work in Victoria through outbreak situations, when you know we had escalating levels of community transmission of COVID-19 occurring, the wave two lockdowns, etc., it shows that our people are so deeply committed to the care of those customers and residents, and care for each other. Mm-hmm. You, you know, when you spend time in an aged care home, you get to see how those team members actually become part of the family, um, caring for that individual. And I think, you know, there isn't, there isn't a person who um, isn't touched by how important that is and also what a privilege that is. Um, it's a very special time to work with the, the families and, and their loved ones to make sure those remaining years are very special.
0: And certainly in the last 12 months, you've had a really unique situation where families, um, probably for the first time ever in your career, have not been able to come in and see the um, the, f- the family member. And I know I don't um, have, I have previously had elderly grandparents who've been in um, aged care and that was a really important part of our week, going and visiting, um, mm-hmm. you know, Gran and, and making sure that she knew we were all there and and, and there to to have, um, to share in her, her life and, and the joys that she'd had in the week. But given we had families that really were restricted um, for safety, for the safety of um, people living within the communities, it, is that something that um, you, you've seen the staff being able to assist the, the residents with with getting through getting through the toughness of not being able to see families and and we know as well from the um, Australian unity um wellbeing index that was, has been done in partnership with Deakin University, that it was actually retirees. So people, I guess, in the, the sector that you work that reported the least amount of positives from the pandemic. So I can talk about how great it is that I don't have to go into the office every day and I save on my commute, but that's not the feeling that potentially the people in this area, uh, this age group are looking at. Is that something that was then a different aspect of having to do with a pandemic to other, other areas?
3: Okay. So I think the, the, the challenge for older people, you know, people over 70 was that they were particularly called out um, as, as uniquely vulnerable to the virus. So whether it was people living in our aged care homes or people in our retirement villages um It was almost a bit of a siege mentality for those individuals about, you know, not exposing themselves unnecessarily to the possibility of community transmission, uh, particularly in Victoria. I think what we saw was just such a a positive rallying um, of our team members around that. And I recall quite early um, in wave one of the outbreak, when it started to become apparent that... Aged care homes were going to be quite vulnerable to this, and and we had just gone into the lockdown, and so the the home um, schooling had started, and we were like, oh my goodness, like what what's this going to mean? Because now a number of our team members also have children, you, you know, they're going to need to stay home to care for their children, homeschooling, they won't, uh, won't be able to come to work. What does that all look like? And we sent out a, a an SMS asking for people to give us an indication about their ability to continue to come to work, you know, fill their shifts, etc. And the response rate was extraordinary, mm-hmm. not only in terms of the number of people saying, yes, I'm there, um, and by the way, if you need me to do extra shifts, I'm okay to do that. Mm. And even
0: though I think maybe in the news we may have, as you said, there, there, it felt like there was a bit of a focus on um, potential you know, potentially the aged care homes as being a, a hotspot or a, an area of concern for an outbreak of, of COVID 19. Um, I would imagine that instead the experience in retirement communities is now that there's a influx of people wanting to come in because they want to be supported and have that, that um, secure accommodation around them. Um, is, that, is that the experience?
3: Yes, it is. It's something that um, I think COVID has made everyone reflect on their fundamental values, what's important to you, the relationships that are important to you. And so we we are seeing uh, even more people choosing to make that decision to right size to a retirement village where they can be with like minded people, they're in a secure environment. Um, There's good um, levels of information flowing, you know, we made sure through all of the lockdowns that we were communicating every few days with with customers and and residents around, you know, updates coming through. So people felt that they were being um, well informed, that they could make great decisions. Um, And if if people do have health concerns, they know that 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 support is right on hand um, if they need some extra support.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And look, I, um, from my own experience, when I've been talking with my parents about, you know, right sizing, and I love that, um, that concept, because I think that um, the way we've thought of it before is um, a a downsize, which um, is fine. But right sizing actually really focuses on why you're doing it. And you're right sizing, because this is, this is the right stage of your life to be coming into a supported accommodation um, setting and, and talking with my parents. Um, I did actually investigate one of um, one of the Australian Unity um, communities. So I, I know how much people um, are looking to the, the more supported accommodation models, because if you had to go through anything like this. Again, you want to be with people who are really there to support you and and you can feel part of a community. And um, I really think that you just must have one of the most um, rewarding roles out there, given what you do and to be a leader of such an amazing um, group of people. You know,
3: I've worked in this sector for about 10 years, but the last 12 months have just been so extraordinary to work with a team where the focus was so clear um, it was an incredibly intense time, but that clarity of purpose, why we were there uh, around protecting people's health and well-being, keeping everyone safe, um, it, it was just um, so compelling. And what we saw was, was just the best in people. And that's not to say it wasn't emotional and people were exhausted, but that, that sense of um, being in it together, that sense of not wanting to let your, your mate down, Um, Whether that was, you know, a colleague in your team or someone working in a home, um, the the clarity of purpose was extraordinary. And I think Australian Unity as a mutual, as an organisation, which is genuinely values-led, to me, it was just such a privilege to be part of that.
0: Absolutely. Bold, warm and honest. I love it. I think I really thank you for being here today and um, for all of your insights. Um, You really are an inspirational leader. So thank you so much for being a part of this special episode. My
3: absolute pleasure, Anna. Thank you. Thank you
0: so much to my guests for your extremely generous giving of time and the thoughts that you shared today. It really is a gift, I think, to the listeners and the ability to get honest reflections from leaders in who, who really are at the top of their field has been a real treat for me and I hope for all of you listening at home as well. On this International Women's Day 2021, when we consider women in leadership achieving an equal future in a COVID-19 world, what better way to celebrate than listen to people such as the guests that I've had on today? If you have any other questions, please send them through to whwid at australianunity.com.au. I'm really looking forward to sharing all of those ideas with you in season two of What Happens When I Die.